What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I want to tell you guys about a brand new podcast coming to our luminary slate called Sonic Boom. For more than four decades, the Seattle Supersonics were among the NBA's most iconic franchises. But in 2008, they packed their bags for Oklahoma. Hosted by the Ringer's Jordan Ritter-Khan, Sonic Boom tells the story of basketball and politics, wealth and power, and reveals new truths about the NBA's greatest heist. You can find the eight-episode documentary podcast exclusively on Luminary starting October 3rd. David, in a company meeting that leaked to the media, Facebook chief Mark Zuckerberg told coworkers it would, quote, suck if Elizabeth Warren became president. What I want to know is, who is the best political enemy you could have right now? Whew. I mean, we're this is a week where Joe Biden has relished in being the person in Trump's line of fire, mm. right? Joe Biden, Joe Biden has finally found purpose in his campaign by being that. What did he say this week? I just want to say something to you, Donald. I'm not going anywhere. It's just like, <laughs> where do you think you were going? That wasn't what was at stake here. You know, <laughs> I think he thought he was on the WWE on SmackDown or something. And I was like, what better position? I mean, like, what? Who? How could you possibly get luckier than to have Donald Trump come after you per- directly? And then news breaks. That off in a off the record whatever meeting, Mark Zuckerberg went after Elizabeth Warren. I'm like, oh, I think we found a better villain. <laughs> Donald Trump had like 19 perfect enemies this week. There was Adam Schiff, who he kept calling Shifty Schiff. Yeah, that was the thing, right? He also who else did he name as his enemy this week? I mean, I think it was basically everybody. Nancy Pelosi, that was a big one, right? Because she was she, unlike Paul Ryan, would approve subpoenas for just about anything. Oh Turns yeah, out Paul Ryan approved a lot of subpoenas. Uh, basically any Democrat that would, that would, uh, that would get this line of fire. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he was like singling out Biden was big, but he, he, but you're right. He has too many, he has too many, too many, too many opponents. I think Mark Zuckerberg, and I think especially to like a, a younger generation, I mean, what, what, what greater villain is there than Mark Zuckerberg? Even if you love Facebook. Oh, my God. He's turned himself into, like, the greatest Bond villain ever. I was just going to say Bond villain, yeah, because you control the technology. Unless you're, like, I mean, unless an actual villain, I don't even know who that would be. Unless an actual... <laughs> <laughs> you mean somebody, like, with a mask unless or something Kim like Jong-un that? Unless Kim Jong-un just started, like, tearing into Kamala Harris or something like that, <laughs> saying, like, she should never be elected. Like who? Like who could be? Who would be more uniting than that? Well, I know it's like it's weird because in this time of Trump, we are like actual international villains are tearing into the United States. It's like the Ebola virus just calls a news conference to say that we can't elect Beto O'Rourke or something. <laughs> we are the Ernst Stavro Blofeld of media podcasts. This is the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. media consumers, Brian Curtis and a real live in-person David Shoemaker here. I just, honestly, it's weird to see you. (laughs) It's weird to be here. I talk to you twice a week. Mm -hmm. There's no like FaceTiming in between. I think Chris and Andy probably FaceTime when, you know, Andy's out in the New Mexico desert or something like that. But you and I, it's just, it's, it's solely on the pod. So when I get a good look at you, I'm always just like, wow. He's really I here. I have no idea how to take that. That's fantastic. You No, you look you look good. Very yeah. good. Uh, lots of things to get to today, including a candlelight vigil for the writers and editors at Sports Illustrated. Ugh. 
We'll talk about when newspaper reporters should hold giant scoops for their books and when they shouldn't. We'll talk about pro wrestling moving to the penthouse at the Fox Network. And we've got listener mail in that overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, we got to start with the latest on impeachment, which we can group under the heading of wildly implausible ways (laughs) Donald Trump and friends have tried to spin the Ukraine story. There are way too many for one segment because I saw Rudy Giuliani putting up texts on Twitter, the whole gang over at the Federalist feeling their oats. But I think we can break down Trump and his allies' attempts at spin into a few distinct categories uh, that I'm going to hit you with here. Category number one. Now, this may seem counterintuitive, but commit the same impeachable acts anew. Mm -hmm. This was earlier this morning, just as we're going on. um, Trump's earlier problem was leaning on Ukraine to investigate Biden and his son, Hunter. This morning on the White House lawn, Trump called for China to do the same thing. China should start an investigation into the Bidens because what happened in China is just about as bad as what happened with with Ukraine. So I would say that President Zelensky, if it were me, I would recommend that they start an investigation into the Bidens. Somebody ought to think about impeaching that guy. What in the world? It's, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's hard to, of all of the things that he's done, and there have been some real winners over the past week alone, is that the hardest one to listen to and, and, and write off as being the work of a, you know, madman? I mean, that feels like it must be, like, of all of our conspiracy theories about how the Trump White House works, this one feels like it must be a deliberate decision to go out there and do exactly what they've done before to normalize something by do, by repeating it again in front of cameras and microphones, right? I, I uh, 1,000% agree. That if we have this narrow, maybe impeachable thing we did in a White House-supplied transcript, we're going to double down on the fact that that is not, in fact, impeachable and muddy the waters and sort of convince people subliminally by just saying it over and over. Yes. So I guess the only question is what country is next? Should Turkey investigate Joe and Hunter Biden? Should Trinidad and Tobago investigate <laughs> Joe and Hunter Biden? How, how far can we go here? I don't know. But it is the Trump volume strategy, right? He, is, he has this thing where I think he does double down on bad acts. And in a way, it revs up his base. Because part mm-hmm. of what they like about Trump is that he's so audacious and he's the big tough guy who doesn't care. And he's not going to back down to the media. Yeah. He's just going to do it again. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and listen, I mean, like I said, we're all in this sort of like post-factual uh, stage in terms of our politics and news consumption. Right. And like even the uh, I think there's a lot of very kind of baseline Trump supporters that are not looking to find out whether or not, and this goes for both sides, but they're not looking to find out whether or not what Trump did is impeachable or is, is illegal or whatever else, but they're just looking for a uh, a passable line of defense, line of argument on Twitter as to why it's okay, right? And this, and and he sort of fill, he he is providing that meat, that grist for his for his supporters. I I'll, I'll even go you a step down the evolutionary chain. I think they're just looking for a flex. Yeah. They're just looking for Trump to say, I don't care. Mm-hmm. 
I don't care if you think this is impeachable. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't even know if that, you know, you're right. There is that. And we're going to get to that in a second. This kind of Fox News, Federalist, right wing. Here's what it's here's what this is really about. Yeah. But I also think they just want Trump to just just be like, nah, yeah, I'm fine. There's I mean, we, I'm sure there's a million ways to attack this. Before we get too bogged down in the sort of meta analysis, too late. <laughs> no, uh, of the whole thing, it, it, I, th- I guess it bears mention that like the actual things that the president is is saying don't make any cognitive sense. I mean, there's, I mean, like it's he's he's attacking the whistleblower and then openly doing the things that the whistleblower said that he did. Right? He said like <laughs> like like the line if the line of defense against this accusation should be, yes, and it's okay. I did exactly what he said. Nobody should have any problem with that because then he, then he's, I mean, functionally, that's what he's doing. Um, and everything, I mean, but just the muddying of the waters, I mean. He's doing every defense at once. You're right. He's doing every defense at once. And he's the, saying, I didn't do it, and also I did it, and it's okay. And we saw Rudy Giuliani do, do both defenses within 10 seconds. Yeah. I didn't do that. Of course I did it. Yeah. It's really weird. I, a far more conventional diversionary tactic is just to attack your enemies. Sure. Straight out of the Trumpian playbook. In this case, this was from a press conference with Finland's president, my God, that poor man, standing next to Trump while he raged against the media. Trump's particular target in this case was California Congressman Adam Schiff. Not a thing wrong, unless you heard the Adam Schiff version where he made up my conversation. He actually made it up. It should be criminal. It should be treasonous. He made it up, every word of it made up, and read to Congress as though I said it. And I'll tell you what, he should be forced to resign from Congress. Adam Schiff, he's a lowlife. He should be forced to resign. He took a perfect conversation, realized he couldn't read it to Congress because it was perfect. It was a very nice conversation. I knew many people were on the phone. Not only were many people on the phone, we had stenographers on the phone taking it down word for word. He took that conversation, which was perfect. He said, I can't read this. So he made up a conversation and he reported it and and said it to Congress and to the American people. And it was horrible what he said. And that was supposed to be coming from me, but it was all fabricated. He should resign from office in disgrace. And frankly, they should look at him for treason because he is making up the words of the president of the United States. Not only words, but the meaning. And it's a disgrace. It should not be allowed to happen. I know that this is ridiculous on its face and that Trump doesn't really care what Adam Schiff says. But like Adam Schiff was, you know, was clearly just like imagining what that conversation might have been like in a slightly humorous way when he was speaking um, last week. But this is. I mean, for someone like Donald Trump, who literally reenacts conversations every time you put a microphone in front of his face, he just like makes like fantastic. And, and not, I'm not even talking about like things, places where we should be accusing him of lying or, you know, whatever. I mean, that's just the way this man speaks. He like you ask him, like, <laughs> how his dinner was last night? And he'll just be like, oh, I was I was sitting with Melania. Melania said, look at that beautiful moon outside. And you look so good in that suit, honey. And like he just like makes up things that people say all the time. He is our national unreliable narrator. Yeah. And, and for that, to, I mean, I guess maybe that's exactly why he focuses on it. I don't know. And, and even if Schiff had done a, you know, comedy version making up Trump quotes, that let us just note that is not treason. <laughs> no. <laughs> An offense that is punishable by death. 
Well, and you had Lindsey Graham, who was like mis- misunder- deliberately misunderstanding the, the definition of, her- of hearsay earlier this week. I mean, the way that the, the, these like mis- these words are thrown around with deliberate disregard, right? Or uh, maybe that's not even the right word. Hearsay. I mean, that was incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's it the, to 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 remove the meaning of every word is. I'm sure. I'm sure it will be. That will be a. Uh, you know, the 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 nut graph of some great philosopher looking back on this era in political history that we just like to devalue the meaning of every word is a beautiful metaphor for the way that we've just like, you know, self-destructed our political system or something. <laughs> I didn't even include in our litany here, but do you see Kevin McCarthy uh, from congressman from California on 60 Minutes? And he was read part of the official White House pseudo transcript from the Ukraine call. And he was like, that's not what it said. You inserted a word. And Scott Pelley was like, no, I didn't actually. I'm just reading you verbatim from no. this, this document put out by the White House. And by the way, speaking of, of obscuring words and, and distorting their meaning, Trump claimed more than once yesterday that that was an exact transcript from his phone call with the president of Ukraine. The the mm-hmm. the thing itself says that it is not an exact transcript. Yes. <laughs> so the White House released something that said this is not an exact transcript, and the Trump says actually it's an exact transcript. <laughs> okay. Maybe they should look into treason charges for that transcript. <laughs> <laughs> I also wrote down another heading here: cussing. It's kind oh, of a yes. diversionary tactic. Cussing. Uh, big Trump tweet yesterday: the do nothing Democrats should be focused on building up our country. Not wasting everyone's time and energy on bullshit, all caps. But as many people pointed out, here was Trump on the same day attacking Adam Schiff's criticism of Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. The most honorable person, Mike Pompeo. And this guy was negative on Mike Pompeo. He can't, you know, there's an expression. He couldn't carry his blank strap. I won't say it because they'll say it was so terrible to say but that guy couldn't carry his blank strap. You understand that? I don't know if I do understand that. He's blank strap. <laughs> um, is it the bootstrap that he presumably should have uh, pulled himself up by? <laughs> what a weird place to censor. You remember when we were living together in New York and our moms would come visit us and immediately like the network censor button clicks in our heads. Like, yes. oh, we can't talk like we normally talk yeah. in this apartment. We would have we would not have censored the word jockstrap. <laughs> no. no. Of all words to say, we'd have censored a lot from those days. We would not have censored the word jockstrap. No, absolutely not. Didn't it remind you of that old Could, Dell match game bit? You know, uh, a man walked into a park and he pulled down his blank. He's blank. Yeah. Instead of he the bleep, he used blank. blank. Yeah. Strap. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, I think I was, I was, uh, the, my first take on this, this is not about the, the, the blank strap per se. Thank God. But NBC, I got a push notification on my phone that I'm probably going to misquote, but it was from NBC News that said like, President Trump explodes in profanity. And I was just like, what the heck? And I was literally watching CNN at the time. I'm staying at a hotel here in LA that the only news available is CNN, you know, which is just sort of a weird island to be on, not what I'm used to. But um, I was watching CNN and I was like, why? What, what was the explosion of profanity? And then I realized it was just a tweet that said bullshit, but it's weird. I know that the news organizations are constantly recalibrating what they're going to kind of be permissive of in the Trump era, 
But it did seem weird that like using the word bullshit in a tweet was sort of the like a bridge too far for NBC <laughs> News. You know, I mean, like, I'm not sure that that qualifies even as like pr presidential norms aside. I kind of feel like if President Obama had said bullshit and in front of a gaggle, we would have just been like, OK, like it's the 21st century. Right. You know, we can do this now. Yeah. <laughs> but like President Trump tweets it and it's about something that regardless of what you believe about what's going on right now about this impeachment inquiry, it is reasonable for tw for President Trump, someone in his position to be like, that's a bunch of bullshit. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm taking this too literally. No, here. you're right, because it's it's it reminds me of Robert De Niro on CNN the other day. Oh, yeah. It was the cleanest thing Robert De Niro had ever said. But we all have to do the oh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, hey, hey, kids might be watching this. Yeah, that was really weird. I mean, this is this is the this is the P tape president. Right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm sorry. Let me let me do the P word president. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think he's so I, easy to get confused with Donald Trump. <laughs> the P word tape president. I think, I think blank word president is what you're leaning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's blank. All right. Time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Please send your nominees to at the press box pod, where they are always gratefully received. One diversionary tactic, David, that we did not get to was Trump posting a video to Twitter that showed the world a picture of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden yeah, with that? a Ukrainian guy, allegedly a Ukrainian guy. And what was weird was that picture was inserted into the video of the 2005 Nickelback song photograph. So Trump, given all the tools of, of propaganda that a president commands, went with the Nickelback video. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, forcing the entire country to listen to Nickelback should be an impeachable offense. <laughs> Thanks to usually JB for that so one. True. We mentioned that yesterday, Trump met with the president of Finland. His name is Sali Ninista. I think I'm saying that right. Sali Ninista. Over there in the White House. Thank you, Chris, for the help with that. Uh, during that, Trump gets into it with Reuters reporter Jeff Mason, who was really the face of professionalism during the whole exchange, made the wires proud. After going a few rounds, Trump demanded that Jeff Mason stop asking questions about Biden and ask Ninista a question. OK, he says, "You wait, we got the president of Finland right here. Why aren't you asking him anything? But listen to how Trump butts in even on that question. Ask the president of Finland a question, please. Okay, I'll move on now. Um, Mr. President, in your opening remarks, you said to President Trump that you had been to some museums today and that you respected the U.S. democracy and encouraged him to continue it. Are you concerned that that's not happening? And my second question to you, sir, is the WTO rule today in favor of the United States, yeah. uh, saying that the United States can now impose tariffs on European goods because of illegal subsidies against Airbus. That was a big win for the United States, yep. right? It wasn't. You never had wins States, with other presidents, did you? But we're having a lot of wins at the WTO since I became president. This was a case that started, I think, 10 or 15 years yeah. ago. Okay. But Excuse it, me. So I want you to ask Finland's president a question, but I'm going to also answer that question. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, I'm going to let you... <laughs> finish. Oh, man. My laugh was Cap greater than it should have been. Cap <laughs> Capital F. Thanks to Michael for that one. And finally, David, that story about Trump and the border that ran in the New York Times, more on that in just one second, suggested that Trump 
wanted the U.S. to build a trench filled with alligators to deter migrants from coming into the United States. A trench filled with alligators. Uh, Trump went to Twitter, shockingly, to rebut the charge. He says, now the press is trying to sell the fact that I wanted a moat stuffed with alligators. But he did not write moat. He wrote moot. M-O-O-T. He even capitalized it. Moot. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write moot point, but even better, and when in doubt, go with a reference to season four, episode seven of Seinfeld, The Bubble Boy. All right, Bubble Boy. Let's just play. Who invaded Spain in the eighth century? That's a joke. The Moors. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. It's the Moops. The correct answer is the Moops. Moops. Let me see that. That's not moops, you jerk. It's Moors. It's a misprint. I'm sorry, the card says moops. Sorry, Mr. President, the card says moot. <laughs> if you referenced Seinfeld and didn't talk about streaming services, congrats, you made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, David, let us enter the notebook dump section of this here podcast. And uh, let us... Enter it grimly because we've got layoffs at Sports Illustrated. The Wall Street Journal last night, this is Ben Mullen and Jeffrey Trachtenberg, reported that at least 20% of the full-time staffers over at SI would be laid off today. And at Deadspin, Barry Pacheski said that number could be as high as 50% of full-time staffers. The journal further reports that The Maven, (laughs) you remember this company, there's no space between The and Maven. The Maven. Or Simivin. Simivin. Sounds like a medicine. It does. Something you give your kids when they have a really wet hacking cough at night. The Mivin, a media startup that was sold the licensing rights to SI, will bring in 200 contract workers to fill the holes created by the layoff. Uh, In other news over there, Chris Stone, the editor-in-chief of SI, is out of a job as of Tuesday. Pacheski reports that SI's digital editor, Mark McCluskey, is also out. I feel you and I have had nine versions of this conversation mm-hmm. about a media entity. So let me just, let me just, without being contrarian, let me just take us over one lane on the highway here. I don't want to hear about how this is defaming the legacy of SI. Mm-hmm. I don't even really want to hear your memories of getting SI in the mailbox and how great it was and how terrible this thing is happening. You know, you know what? In the 70s and 80s and and Frank DeFord, Dan Jenkins, all those people, guess what? Those people got paid, right? Those people got paid really well by Time Inc. Yeah. This doesn't defame the memory of SI. That's that's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. All this does is just absolutely suck for the people who are yeah. working there now. Yeah. That's all I really care about here. Yeah. People who are apparently being called in or maybe not to a meeting today to get fired so that they can replace them with 200 randos who are going to cover sports for SI. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's that if we are, you know, laser focusing our angst and concern, that's where it goes for me. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I'm not sure that if, uh, you know, companies, um, do performing you know corporate takeovers or buying out legacy media with great 
you know, memories and reputation. If I don't know if it would help anything if the uh, acquiring firms would be more upfront at the beginning and just being like, yeah, we just bought it for the logo. We want to put it on a duffel bag uh, and we're going to probably lay a bunch of people off. If they had said that on day one, I'm not sure that would make us feel any better right now, but it sure feels like something that would be just better for all parties involved, you know, make you feel. They kind of said it right. Authentic brands said, remember, we're going to build like SI the hospital. No, no, no. They, the medical clinic. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and and there were there were some caveats too, and they and they but they all you know I guess it's it's the role of I mean any any company now will put a a positive PR spin on it, so they're not going to focus on the negatives. But yeah, this just sucks for the people who are getting laid off, and I think it just feels particularly dire. This happens time and time again. Um, not won't be the it's not the first, won't be the last company like this that that will cover. But it's like, you know, there's not. It, it it it's life altering for people who are losing their jobs, especially in a world where they're like, there's not necessarily an obvious place to go and drop your application off. You know, there's not. This isn't. No. This is this is. And and SI has been such a legacy institution that one, we like to think that you'd be safer there in some kind of vague way. And two, there are a lot of people who've, you know, given their life. I mean, spent a, a big portion of their lives there, right? And uh, and yeah, it's hard to see. It's hard to see that happen to like good people who are doing good work. I just think when my phone lights up with texts as it did last night, as the story was coming down, we are, our minds immediately go to the really good, famous writers at SI that we know. Those people, and again, I don't, I don't want to minimize their pain and annoyance and all that stuff. Those people will probably be fine. It's the writers. And yeah. non-Ford-facing people you don't know yeah. that this is really going to suck for. Like, those those are the people that are today going, what am I going to do? You know, the person who has is really good at profiles and long form and all that stuff, that, that person's probably going to have a good chance. Again, I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm not mm-hmm. saying you'll be fine. No one says you'll be fine. No, just, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think that it's, the big names are going to be fine. I mean, I think even like Chris Stone, who's not a, not a household name, even amongst like media consumers or whatever. I mean, there's, I don't know that he'll be fine in the, in his, for his definition of the term, but someone will, someone will bring Chris Stone on, you know, and they'll be lucky to have done it. Um, but yeah, there's, there are hundreds of more people who are, risk losing their jobs who you and I will never know their names you know like all we all all we know I mean all we can really know is that there are people that are you know getting hurt by this because you know all in the name of like someone seeing greater value in SI as a branding operation than as a news outlet and as soon as that part of it came out when this when the whole transition god what a horrible word transition when the whole you know offloading of SI from from Time Inc. and then Meredith was starting. As soon as it was like SI as a brand, you knew you knew this was going to happen. I think that I was willfully in denial of of that only because and we've talked about this before, but the, I mean I think I was willfully ignorant of it because or in denial of it because the history of like publishing is like a prestige thing. It's like a luxury for rich people or rich organizations to have. Um I mean, it's a real thing. It's it goes back to the freaking Medici's or whatever. But like, it's a, you know, part of it is you have to let the artists create art, right? I mean, you have to like to to for it to be worth the prestige of putting this logo on a fanny pack. Like, there's got to <laughs> be something behind it, right? I mean, you one would hope, and it, and or at least you could make the argument that yeah. that you have to have Sports Illustrated. So being Sports Illustrated for Sports Illustrated health clubs to be worthwhile, 
but I guess not. You know, you're you're you were right on that one. It reminds me of when you go to the airport and you see like magazines and newspapers that barely exist are the name of the newsstand <laughs> at the airport. Yeah. And those are not in a lot of cases vibrant places anymore. But, you know, as you and I are are on the wrong side of 40 and we're just, we go and go, Oh, well, that must be a reputable place. It's Southern living newsstand. <laughs> you know, they, I remember that on my mom's night table when I was a kid. So that must be okay. David, if you're going to lay off a bunch of people, you should do it in the most ham handed manner possible. I think that would definitely help at a time oh like this. Oh my gosh! This is also from Pacheski's report on Wednesday night. Staffers over at SI were sent emails telling them to come to the transition meeting. There's that word again. Uh, quoting Pachesky, staffers compared the emails and quickly realized there are two separate meetings at different times, and they fear that one of the groups, Thanos-like, will be given pink slips with the other told it is safe. Then, uh, Deadspin reports, as of this morning, Thursday, that an hour before the transition meetings began, they were canceled with uh, no explanation. So... <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing at a time like this, but like. No, but it's like the Trump administration. We're like, yeah, these are not, you know, we want to make out the media overlords to be like, oh, these people are really, really bad guys. But really, these people are probably just incompetent guys. Yeah. These people are probably just nincompoops. Yeah. I mean, that's probably their their definitional quality at a time like this. As be- I mean, listen, at least we live in an era where idiotic corporate overlords are constantly on their heels uh, being put on their heels by blogs just stating the fact of the thing that they have done <laughs> i feel like this keeps happening where someone's just like look at this thing that these dumbasses did and they're just like oh crap we really hope nobody would know, would have known about that they're like we hadn't thought about this even for one second i always wonder if they care about that i mean like really genuinely they canceled the meeting they canceled the meeting i mean somebody cares about it but it's like these media guys who are kind of you know outer rim media press barons you know like barely known yeah and that their first page of just google search forever will be the guy that killed sports illustrated i mean is that you know i don't i don't know i mean it's probably worth the gamble to them because you know if you're the guy that built something out of you know the ashes of sports illustrated i guess that's the upside I think that, no, I think they do care. I think that's what puts them on their heels. I think that we saw that with like Go Media, you know, it's just like as soon as you come to grips with the fact that there's an article that's going to be written with your name in it and just a cataloging of the things you did that would have never been brought to light even five years ago, let alone in the era in which you came up, um, then suddenly you're just, you're, you're, you become very apologetic or circumspect. I want to talk to you about the idea of holding your scoops uh, because maybe this week's most read non impeachment story was a piece by the New York Times White House correspondents Michael Shear and Julie Hirschfeld Davis, which I mentioned a moment ago. It's actually, and this will become important, an excerpt from their upcoming book, Border Wars Inside Trump's Assault on Immigration. Here is Shear and Davis on Trump. Quote, privately, the president has often talked about fortifying a border wall with a water-filled trench stocked with snakes or alligators, prompting aides to seek a cost estimate. He wanted the wall electrified, with spikes on top that could pierce human flesh. After publicly suggesting that soldiers shoot migrants if they threw rocks, the president backed off when his staff told him that was illegal. But later in the meeting, aides recalled, he suggested that they shoot migrants in the legs to slow them down. That's not allowed either, they told him. So that came out. And then Slate's Ashley Feinberg tweets this. 
going to go ahead and say that if you know the president said in a meeting that we should be shooting migrants in the legs to slow them down, you should not be saving that for whenever your book is scheduled to come out. Mm -hmm. Where do you fall on that question? I mean, I kind of fall into like the, well, when you put it like that camp, I guess. I mean, it's, (laughs) I think that I can, I mean, I, I understand we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Kavanaugh when they ran the excerpt from that and there was this story that, you know, should have been, people were arguing should have been brought to light earlier. I mean, it's tough when you're working on a book. A lot of times you sign, you know, part of your contract is you can't, you have to, you know, keep everything secret until the book comes out or until you're doing the press for the book. And um, and also, I mean, as, as terrible as this is to even say out loud, I'm not sure that any of that meets it meets i mean reaches the level of like catastrophe and catastrophic in terms of the trump administration yeah i guess that's the question is is that such a national emergency that that should have been in the paper in march the meeting was in march we don't quite know when when the authors found out about it we're sitting here in october you know with their newly released book mm-hmm. um i'll say this it's one of the oldest things in newspapers is when a newspaper person works on a book that's about their beat. Yeah. Are they hoarding scoops for the book that, of course, their editor in almost every case would say, let's get that in the paper. Yeah. Let's break that. Um, Usually it doesn't involve something like the president thinks we should shoot people that are coming across the border and has to be talked out of it by AIDS. It's, It's an interesting one to me. It's pretty close. You know, I think you could probably save alligators and snakes for the book. Or the, you know, skin piercing spikes mm-hmm. because they're just so ludicrous. Yeah. And so not going to happen. And and I think probably part of their defense here is that it was, it's shit Trump says out loud. Yeah. And how much stock do you put on that, especially when AIDS immediately said you can't do this? Yeah. And again, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is, this is horrific. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Don't, so discla- but, but disclaimer. It, disclaimer, this, this is, is horrific, horrific. But it also matters the, in the context in which he said it, right? I mean, if all those things are, are, pieces of one sentence you know if he's laughing while he says it you know these are different these are these are things that matter um and yeah i think but i think what you get at is 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 the main point this is just this is shit trump says you know i mean i think that um i don't know if you heard uh chuck Klosterman on our boss bills podcast this week but he talked a little bit about global warming and how this is a sort of like philosophical um like error that a lot of candidates have where it's like if you call global warming a, the greatest crisis ever that's faced humanity in like in the past thousand years then like there's no reason to be campaigning on any other issue sort of you know there's this cognitive dissonance between like what you say and like what you're actually the rest of what you say there is a little bit about that it's like if you if if you if you think that what those words that Trump said you think of any words that Trump said are so problematic the specific words that come out of his mouth especially in the private in private and in a meeting are so problematic that that deter- that that demands front page, uh, you know, front page attention in the New York Times or whatever. Then, you know, this is a much more problematic presidency than I think anybody's. I mean, I don't than anybody's really saying out loud. That's a great point. I also just I just always think of it from the lot of journalists. Yeah, they want to make money. Yeah, it's not a profession where you're getting real rich, and you want the one way to kind of change your income status. In this profession, besides doing a besides doing a serial podcast, is to write a book, and so then you're faced with this idea of I, I got to save stuff for the book because I want the book to be to sell as many copies as possible. 
I can't, the book can't be a rehash of stuff I've already written for the most part. It's got to have new stuff in it. Yeah. But how do I just do it? So it's, it, to me, it's always like, it's kind of a journalist saying, how do I make money? And if it's on your beat and these people cover the White House, it's really tough. Like if they had gone, if they had written a book, David, about, you know, buying a house in Tuscany and redoing it and kind of finding meaning through, you know, through going there or <laughs> maybe going to Bali and doing yogas. I just, I'm just pure making up, just referencing random bestsellers here. How but, their golden retriever helped them get through yeah, the death of their parents. A murder mystery in Savannah. You yeah. get the idea. If, if they had done that, the Times wouldn't care and nobody would really care. But because it's about Trump and it's on their beat, they do. Let's talk about wrestling. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to cheer up. Yeah. Because sometimes on the media beat, David, you've got to leave your desk and do some shoe leather reporting. Which is why we are heading over to Staples Center on Friday to watch the WWE's Friday Night Smackdown. And this is a media story. Because Smackdown is going to air on Fox, a bona fide network, which won the rights last year. It's also part of Fox's sports division, which I kind of find as a sports media person fascinating. I'm pretty sure that's the first time wrestling has been under the aegis of a sports division. We might argue Saturday night's main event back in NBC. I don't think that was part of NBC sports. Yes, you mean like proper? Like world-class wrestling running on ESPN News back in the day or whatever. Yeah, or like the wee hours, something but like not- that. Um, I was thinking about this and the meta, we'll, we'll save the, uh, you know, grimy specifics for the mass man podcast which you will be on this week yeah we're doing a lot of crossover this week but to me this is wrestling has been on this slow collision course with mainstream culture which you have written about so many times Mm -hmm. over decades and decades yeah it keeps getting closer for wrestling to get a slot on network television is to me one of the final you know bumps or no pun intended or final moves into the mainstream that shows me anyway that wrestling has sort of done it and it's sort of won. what do you think yeah i mean i think there's a couple of things at play here first of all our pop culture in general and our sports culture whatever has has kind of i don't know diminished but it's like you know come down off its high horse a little bit especially network television yeah specifically oh yeah i mean the point that i make over and over again I mean, I've said this so many times, is that like when I was growing up, when you were growing up, <laughs> the bane of every wrestling fan's existence was when you would say you're, you know, you're into wrestling, or you're going to watch wrestling. Somebody would turn to you with disdain in their eyes and just say, like, you know, that stuff's fake, don't you? Right. And that was true up until, I mean, I started writing about wrestling. You know, I was, I mean, until like 10 years ago or whatever. I mean, and, and probably more recently than that. But now we're in a world where like. You cannot look at someone and say, you know, that stuff's fake, don't you? And then go home and watch the Kardashians on television, (laughs) right? You can't go home and say, you know, that stuff's fake, don't you? And then like, you know, watch two people yelling at each other on Fox News. You know what I mean? Like everything is false. Everything is fake. It's okay. You know, like we're we're, we're, we're past that. Um, Also, there's, you know, this litany of wrestling deaths and injuries and everything that's become more of a reality over the past 20 years. Did you cover any of that? (laughs) I can't remember. It sort of of is like... You should write a piece about that. It sort of put the lie to the wrestling is is fake sports thing, right? I mean, wrestlers are getting concussed and injured at a higher rate than football players. I mean, this is they're putting their bodies through hell. But I think that in general, you're right. I mean, pop, our, our culture has lowered itself. Wrestling has climbed up a little bit. They've met in the middle. There's also, just in terms of sports, it's got to be said that wrestling was kind of there first. I mean, what WWE, WWF did on Saturday Night's main event and on MTV, you know, back in the 80s, they were the sort of, like, that was an aspirational point for pro sports. 
right? right. Take it for football. Football is, has been climbing towards that point of pop cultural kind of crossover ever since then. Um, the NBA too. I mean, none of that, our pro sports didn't look like Hulk Hogan on MTV back in the eighties. You mean in blending with pop culture? Yeah. Becoming a pop culture just thing. Kind yeah. of, yes. And Crossing just, over. Yeah, exactly. Um, kind of having, you know, the figures that like everybody recognizes. I mean, just, yeah, having that sort of cultural awareness. So, so now we're back. Um, it's really, it's, of, I, you know, we've known this has been coming for a long time. Obviously the, they inked the deal with Fox to move SmackDown over there a while back. And, and we've been sort of counting it down. Um, but I was not prepared for the emotional, <laughs> for the, for the emotions that I felt when Fox NFL Sunday football was promoting <laughs> WWE wall to wall on Sunday. Every game, every like every every commentary booth seemed to have a professional wrestler sitting in it. Every bumper had a had a you know WWE SmackDown graphic. Every like the the announcers themselves were like were like spitting out segues, just like. And if you like that hit, you're really gonna love what Roman Reigns does this Friday night on SmackDown. That's I mean, incredible, right? It was. First of all, it was shocking that it happened, but more importantly, it was shocking how weirdly seamless it felt. Am I right about that? It did. And apparently we're going to get more of that because Roman Reigns is going to be on Thursday Night Football tonight Uh huh. in some capacity. Now, if he's like throwing the football around with Michael Strahan and Terry Bradshaw, I think we can think of that as one level of entrenchment in American culture. Yeah. If he is standing between Joe Buck and Troy Aikman in the booth, that that just to me is like oh whoa I yeah. mean that 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 for some reason that feels more like oh wow wrestling has is really <laughs> to go back to the penthouse metaphor it is it is in the box it is in the sky box it is here it is part of our lives in a way it hasn't well, been before and this is why the Fox deal means more to WWE than anybody could really has really could really wrap their mind around is that Fox needs this to work right. And it's not, it just doesn't need to have like a new, has a show that's successful on Friday nights. They've got the NFL on Sunday. They've got the NFL on, on, oh, sorry. They have the NFL on Thursday and Sunday. College football Saturday. That's right. Professional wrestling is a linchpin of a four-day block of sports programming. And they, and all this stuff has to be- Live sports Live sports programming. And and they, and synchronicity is a key. Um, Every, it's like, you know, your favorite MSNBC show throwing to the next show. I mean, they just have to throw from night to night and it's all, it all has to work for the block to work. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of attention paid to WWE ratings because that's a thing that wrestling nerds love, have long loved to do. Um, And I'm not sure that the specific numbers that we're, you know, that anything, I'm not sure that we know the specific numbers they're looking for. I'm not sure how much anything, any of our discourse about that will matter, but I do think that they they need it to succeed and and part of success is the kind of sheen of legitimacy which is something that's really hard for pro wrestling to achieve on its own it takes an mtv you know in the brawl to end it all era it takes saturday night's main event it takes saturday night live when wrestlers appear on there to give wrestling that sort of legitimacy and fox has a very very vested interest in making wwe seem um like like a like a legitimate endeavor right now and I don't mean legitimate in terms of it being real. I think we're all aware of what pro wrestling is. I think it's legitimate in terms of this deserves a this deserves a two-hour block in primetime television every week. And to that point of legitimacy, have you been as amused as I have as wrestlers have fanned out across the Fox empire this week, particularly on Fox and Friends? <laughs> yeah, I love this. Now, the obvious joke here is that 
that man who's playing an offensive, over-the-top character know the one sitting next to Steve Ducey? <laughs> Grimshaw. Uh, here is Kofi Kingston, who is the WWE champion? WWE champion. WWE champion. I'm going to make sure I get my belts right. WWE champion appearing on America's Favorite Morning Show. Uh, you know, when Fox does things, they do things differently. How is Fox going to do SmackDown differently? It's big. It's so much. I'm like, we've had a lot of uh, promotion and even yeah. just the way that everything is shot camera wise. It looks great. You know, there's so much enthusiasm behind this whole movement. You know, it's a big deal for us. And I've been saying it all along, like WWE and Fox, it's like hand in glove. You know, right. Everybody wants to do well, it so we're big. We're looking and, at the countdown. You know, yep. Yeah, we got the just countdown. A few days away. We, we have a ring, a wrestling ring set up in the Every middle of New York right, right now. So, you know, we're doing it big. For what sure. can we expect? When can we expect it? Yes, October 4th, you know, SmackDown. I would just like to point out that I was on Fox and Friends talking about professional wrestling before any of these fools were. <laughs> <laughs> the champ is here. Yeah. Wow. David claiming superiority even over Kofi Kingston. Let's do a little list of mail and then we'll get out of here. David, this one comes from Steve French. Uh, he says, camping out in front of the Ringer store until I get an at the press box pod t-shirt that says, I think that's right. <laughs> it's always nice to be informed by someone else that you have a catchphrase. And by the way, you did say that I, I was listening for it on this pod and you did say it during the Sports Illustrated segment. I don't doubt it. I, there's like any, by the way, and thank you, Steve, for that. It's usually like a one or one and a half second pause where when we're doing this show separately, I wonder if your mic has dropped out or if your connection has dropped out. And then it's like, I think that's right. <laughs> It's David gathering his thoughts. Thank you, Steve. Uh, speaking of press box masked man crossovers, Michael Salerno directs us to the news that Jesse the Body Ventura is kind of sort of contemplating a run for president. Uh, here he is with Alex Michelson of Fox LA. The country's going to get reunited is to elect an independent president. So if it's not you, then who is it? I don't know. So then do you feel an, uh, a need to do I it have in order that, to serve your country? I have that voice in the back of my head that says to me, if not you, then who? It's there. Yeah. My it's commander there. in chief, uh, this guy who claims to have had bone spurs, got out of the Vietnam War because of it. He couldn't even do one day a boot camp to be a private. Mm. And I'll speak to this. Every enlisted guy in the nation who's ever gone to boot camp, the first, I don't care what service it is, the first night at boot camp, there's one person there who will break down, wet their pants, cry for their mom, and throw tantrums. The authorities will come in in the middle of the night, they'll remove that person. You'll never hear or see, or you never know what happened to them. Donald Trump would have been that person. Wow. Jesse the, Jesse the, uh, what, Jesse the, the spoiler? Ventura, is that what we're calling him now? Yeah, he's um I think that's right. No, I'm just kidding. The uh I think that Jesse, it's amazing how many moves of the Ventura for governor of Minnesota campaign that Trump kind of stole. Yeah. I mean it was it was, you know, but Ventura was sort of building on Ross Perot and that Trump was sort of building on Jesse. Just hearing Jesse's voice, by the way, I just 
I am I'm I miss him so much as a color commentator. Oh, okay. In professional wrestling? Yeah, I mean truly one of and did he have an XFL he run? He did have too? an XFL. That's why that's that's the joke I was about to make. Truly one of. I mean if I if I'm doing my power rankings, you know, Madden is number 1 and then we get down but I still might have Jesse Ventura ahead of Tony Romo. I'm not I'm not quite willing to to coronate Romo just yet. Time to uh do David Shoemaker guesses a strain pun headline. <laughs> okay. Love seeing that sigh and mm-hmm. that resigned sigh in person. My god, it's beautiful. Uh, last Tuesday's headline was to be or not to be. And this comes to us from Jay Free Boo and Derek Burke. It's not a headline, David. Okay. It's a tweet, but all the same rules apply. Are you familiar with Escape the Pina Colada song? Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, Dave Brown who is the deputy defense editor of Politico. All of America's great comedians get their start as deputy defense editor of Politico, has changed some of the familiar lyrics to reflect Donald Trump's Ukraine scandal. Okay. I'm very into this. David, what are the refashioned Pina Colada song lyrics? And we're just looking for like two lines here. Is this like, are we looking at the chorus? Is if you like Pina Coladas and getting caught in the rain? Exactly. Oh, you're the rain. Uh, if you like, yeah, the, you're, the rain in Ukraine is sitting right there. Um, if you like, um, you guys are doing great. If you uh, now, now nail that first part of it. Pina coladas. Uh, if you like, pina. <laughs> uh, if you like, it's Bill back on yacht rock. Oh my god, this is incredible. Pina. Subpoena. Uh, if you sub- if you subpoena uh, the Bidens, if you subpoena, it, 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 you guys don't need to get any further. If you like subpoena coladas oh. and getting caught in Ukraine, and notice he didn't say the Ukraine. Yeah. God, I could just li- can we can we can we just briefly turn into a serious channel and just let this play us out? This is one of my favorite songs of all time. God, this is incredible. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Almeida. Production magic and groovy tunes by Jim Cunningham. We're back. When are we back? We're back Tuesday, bright and early. I think that's right. With more lukewarm takes about the media and delicious syrupy drinks. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. When I get a good look at you, I'm always just like, wow, <laughs> all this does is just absolutely suck. I have no idea how to take that. That's fantastic. That that just to me is like, oh, whoa. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, kids might be watching this. What in the world? Wasting everyone's time and energy on bullshit, all caps. Yeah. An offense that is punishable by death. Thank God. Am I right about putting this fanny pack? I don't even really want to hear your memories. Yeah. Is that the hardest one to listen to and and, and write off as being the work of a, you know, madman? I 1,000% uh, agree. These people are probably just nincompoops.